You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the helping spirits. So I call out to the ancestral helping spirits to be with us here today, to those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral line to us. I call out to these ancestors to help us that we might actually learn from those who have gone before us that we might hold true to those things that are eternal and to cultivate them well in our lives and that we might find in the ways of the past the courage to innovate and be creative and to do things in new ways to meet the great challenges of our time in a way that brings forward the medicine each one of us is here to bring. I call out to these ancestors to stand here with the living to help the living to do what is needed in our time to do what is needed for those who are coming. And with the ancestors standing around us, we call out beyond the human ancestors to those energies that were here long before there were ever humans. We call out to the spirits of the land and the great spirits of the land. We call out to the elemental energies. And we call out to all the rest of life. We give gratitude and thanks to you for your dreaming that brought life as we experience it to the face of this planet. And we give thanks to you and ask you to help us to understand our own true nature and how we fit in to this great web of life. And with all of these energies gathering around us here today, let us gather ourselves, gathering our mind from wherever it might be today and focus it in to this one thing at this one time, drawing our energy in to our mind and from our mind to our heart, from our heart to our belly, And from our belly down, let us reach down to touch the earth and take a moment to give thanks for this day. Thanks for your life. Thanks for all that is present in your life, especially those things you have not yet figured out how to embrace, how to receive, and how to understand in a way that is good. We call out to the earth to hear our gratitude for the whole journey of our life for all that is and all that will be, and for the wonder of life. And with great gratitude for the generosity of the earth's dreaming, we reach down into all the layers of the earth, giving thanks as we go, reaching down to the very, very center of the earth. And in the center of the earth, we take a moment to touch in, into the darkness and the stillness, the silence, the cold, the peace, into that energy which is before all the other energies that we know as the expressions of life here on the face of the planet. We tune deeply into this energy that renews and restores, that which nourishes, that energy that is drawn up by the plants and the animals into life. We draw up this earth energy into our bodies and we ask that earth energy to help us to understand how to be grounded 
how to know where we stand and what we stand for, and how to do this in a way that we build our sense of home and place here in what has meaning and value for us, and that we build a sense of home and place and belonging in a way that opens ourselves to the other, that the other might arrive unexpected at our table and provoke us to become the men and women we're truly here to be. Let us not take our sense of comfort from simply surrounding ourselves by those who think exactly the way that we do and look like us. Let us take our sense of home and connection from our hearts. So as we call these energies in and we call the other in, let us come to understand the other within ourself and reach out into nature, reach out into the invisible world, and ultimately come into this greater connection with all things. And may we come to understand our place in that great web of life. And with this energy, let us draw our energy up, up through our body, our heart, and our head, up and out the top of our head, out to the sky, the atmosphere, and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, whatever way you understand it, connect to that energy and begin to draw it down into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings. And in this way, we not only connect the earth above, but we begin to draw down the energies from above to the earth. And we call in the energy of blessing. We call in the energy of protection. We call in the benevolence of the universe and all the wisdom of the universe. We call this energy in. We call in the devotion and commitment to our process, the inspiration and illumination that comes, and we call in the great beneficence of this world in which we live. We call these energies in, we draw them down through our body and in and connect to the very center of the earth, and with the earth and sky connected within us, we open up to the big love that is wherever these two energies are present. And we ask the big love to awaken the spirit of our heart. And in our heart, we ask our heart energy to awaken the crucible of transformation that lives within our heart. And we call that crucible crucible into action. And we call it to draw up the fiery passions of the belly, to draw down the crystal clarity of the mind, to draw these energies together in the heart where they can move together in a dynamic tension that will give birth to that third and most sacred thing, the memory, understanding, the sense of why you are here. And may you find in your beautiful human heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that gift, that truth of why you are here, out into the world in some way. And we give great gratitude to all the spirit help that's gathered around us to help us to do that. May what needs to be said be said, and what needs to be heard be heard here today, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I'd like to also give thanks to the humans, to Deepmere, Lisa, John, Ginger, Pamela, and all the listeners who have donated to the show. Thank you for helping me financially to keep the show alive and on the air. For those of you that are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. That means it is only because of listeners like you who are able to donate financially, usually in very small amounts, but nonetheless to donate financially in a way that allows me to pay the bills so that the shows and the hundreds of hours of archives are available to anyone free. Um, anyone who can get onto the internet, that is. So they're not entirely free. You have to at least be able to have access, and that, of course, does not come free. 
But once you're there, the archives are free to everyone at whyshamanismnow.com, on iTunes, and at co-creatornetwork.com. And so I give thanks to those of you that are helping me to do that, for I could not, I truly could not do it myself. And I give thanks to those of you that are doing the many different things that you are doing that are not necessarily financial, but they are things that help the show to grow nonetheless. I give uh, thanks to you who are sharing the show, those of you who are taking the teachings into your life, and those of you that offer um, uh, some feedback to me about what happens when you do bring the teachings into your life, into your journey circles with your clients. Um, so I give great gratitude for this sort of slow-moving, ongoing conversation that is happening. Today's show, like many shows, is a direct result of a listener's questions. And I give thanks to you all for this as well, for it is these questions and ideas for shows that help to keep the show relevant to those of us that are endeavoring to apply shamanic principles in some practical way to our lives at this time. So thank you, everyone, for all that you are doing to help. If you want to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button, and donate any amount, large or small. We're not asking people to donate $5,000, but it's not unreasonable for a 1,000 of you to donate five. So um, thank you for all that you are giving to help me to do what I'm doing. We are live today. So if you have questions about today's topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from co-creatornetwork.com or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org um, if you have questions for the show. Um, you're also welcome to email me there if you would like um, a regular old-fashioned way to just send in a check. That's also fine. Okay, so today's show is about shamanism and the mess of love. Um, And this comes, as I said, from a listener's questions. So what does love mean if we are living from a shamanic perspective in life? Humans are messy. Love is one of the messiest bits um, of human life. And shamans work with humans. Shamans are humans. And they are in community with humans. And on top of that... Uh, what humans mean by love changes over time. So this is a messy, messy, wonderful aspect of life. So what do we really mean then when we strive to rise to shamanic principles like um, loving all life or mediating our power through the heart? These are things I say at the beginning of almost every single show. What does that really mean? So how do we need to understand love to become truly new people who are writing a new story for a new world? How do we change our understanding of love from one of sort of pop song emotional drama, which is us, contemporary people, or the intellectual labeling of distinct kinds of love, which we can look to the ancient Greeks for? How can we shape this into an understanding of love um, that is really seeing love as the current of life itself, that which makes the oneness one? So true shamanic practice requires a level of intimacy and action that contemporary people actually find offensive to their own contemporary sense of individuality and ego and our current entitled sense of individuality and ego is actually tearing humanity and the world apart. So if we want to understand love differently, we will need to climb over that perceived offense to our individuality and ego and step beyond it into the fear that it is actually hiding 
Um, and it's a fear that we must uh, engage with within ourselves if we are ever to allow our soul to love. So one of the things that my, actually my Qigong teacher has helped me to understand is that those people over there who were doing things I find offensive, like crashing the banking system or fracking, are not necessarily people that aren't loving. You know, the people that I, I see doing things that I consider harmful and hateful are not necessarily not loving people. And what this teacher has really challenged me to see is that, you know, most humans are actually being loving as they understand that. And that for many people, their development of their sense of love stops at a very selfish personal love. A love of my family and my people. And it's the kind of love that leads to a kind of nationalism or a kind of... Um, religious fervor, a fundamentalist kind of thinking. But to claim that these people aren't loving is actually to miss the point. And so what we're really talking about, or, or the reason, I guess I should say, the reason that I currently study with this particular master is because the practices that he teaches create a structure for us to become people that can grow out of that kind of selfish love and can move into a place of being able to express our love in a world in a way that understands the quote-unquote other is actually also perceiving of themselves as a loving person. And how do we then transform our relationship as um, members of this human family in a way that allows us to not trash our home? So there's an article on um, Reality Sandwich uh, on that website that's called In the Valley of the Soul. And in this article, Hillary Webb, Stanley Krippner, and Stephen Baer, all um, people I respect deeply in their writings and teachings about shamanism, discuss whether or not shamanism is all about love. And Hillary begins uh, by saying, it seems to me that, shaman, that the shamanism is all about love mantra is a Western projection, which I would agree. And Stanley continues, and this is a much abbreviated uh, uh, synopsis of Stanley's response, but he says, each indigenous group has its own way of using terms like love, compassion, affection, bonding, etc. And I would expand the point that you just made, Hillary. I would say that there are times when the shaman works in ways that resemble the practices of a sorcerer, but the shaman is not a sorcerer because the sorcerer is not committed to the community. The shaman does not do something that will divide the community against itself. And so this is important in starting to understand a more shamanic uh, perspective about love, which is that what the shaman, shamanic people value. Okay, so uh, Stephen Bear continues uh, with the conversation saying that psychologist James Hillman uh, distinguishes between two basic orientations in the world, um, he, which he calls spirit and soul. Uh, Hillman says, uh, spirit is detached, intense, absolute, abstract, pure, unitary, and eternal. 
Soul, on the other hand, is mortal, earthly, low, troubled, sorrowful, melancholy, and profound. Spirit, he says, seeks to escape or transcend the pleasures and demands of ordinary earthly life. But soul is always in the thick of things, in the repressed, in the shadow, in the messes of life, in illness, and in the pain and confusion of love. Uh, Stephen's point then is, I believe it is soul, not spirit, that is the true landscape of shamanism. The landscape of suffering, passion, mess, and unpaid accounts receivable. So in this article, Hillary concludes, the shaman is not afraid of getting deep, uh, down deep into the messiness of human existence, the realm of the soul. For his or her professional obligation is to navigate the mixed bag that is the human condition to open up to both the dark and light aspects of existence and exert power in order to transform the sense world in a way that benefits the community. And so I would add that shamans actually move between spirit for that intense, pure, eternal explanation of what's going on. Um, and And then they dive deeply into the world of the soul to apply that, to apply those understandings into the reality at hand here in the physical world and that's my sense of the really the fundamental aspect of the shaman's job is gaining the skills that allow them to navigate between those worlds in a way that um, is good for the community and all living things so I would add um, that shamanism is not a clean mental, men, mentally clean intellectual process And while it touches into spirit regularly, it is of the soul. I mean, I agree with Stephen and Stanley and Hillary. It is of the soul and the mess. And that we engage in the soul or we engage the soul most directly through the heart. And the most important distinction that I'm really trying to make today is that the heart is an instrument. It is an instrument with its own intelligence. And what shamanic practice offers us is the possibility to tune the instrument of the heart and to calibrate it with the resonance of all life and to choose then how we act in life with fierce intimacy and meaning beyond our personal self. And that the heart as an instrument can get all gummed up with our tendency toward messy emotional indulgence and childish stories of projections we then place onto life and react to. Or you could choose to keep your instrument clean. And there are multiple shows in the archives about the courageous heart. And it is a core aspect of the teachings in the the cycle, teachings that I teach, the understanding that If we are to live as shamanic people in a contemporary time and to practice as shamanic healers, we must choose to be the type of person that keeps our instrument clean, that our heart as an instrument must be made available for this work. It can't be gummed up and clogged up by our cultural tendency towards emotional indulgence and nowhere do we give ourselves the excuse for that more than in our endless drama around romantic love and so the important thing also to understand that the heart as an instrument can become brittle and inflexible through our emotional denial 
by repeating the same patterns in life, be they psychological or emotional, and then getting angry at the world and blaming it for the fact that you're bored out of your mind and that your heart won't even talk to you anymore because you become absolutely inflexible and unwilling to move with the deeper passions of your soul. So the point here is that the heart is an instrument. It is the instrument that allows us to engage deeply with our soul and it allows us to engage in relationships, in, in all of the relationships throughout sh- which shamanism happens. So in other words, I actually don't believe you can practice, truly practice shamanism. You certainly cannot live via shamanic principles if you are endeavoring to engage in the whole kitten caboodle in your head. That it is through the heart that we engage with the soul. And when we do that, we come to see whether or not that instrument is has been tuned and is ready and able to be um, the instrument of engagement that it's meant to be. So the heart is really what allows us to engage uh, intimately in relationship, which is shamanism shamanic practices are all about intimate relationship with other people's souls with their energy body with the spirit world with the interface between the energy world and our own energy all of it is intimate and cannot uh, be practiced in any deep authentic way purely through the mind And it's important to understand that if the heart is an instrument, then it is this intimacy that is the breath that moves through that instrument that makes it sing. That the heart requires that depth and that intensity. And it is through that depth and intensity that we are able to actually engage with the deeper shamanic forces. So when we live in that state of intimacy with life around us, we make different choices. When we understand our intimate connection to all things in life and our place in that web of life for our survival, but also for our pleasure and abundance, um, when we understand that intimate connection with things, then we as humans logically make different choices. And if we valued that kind of loving, intimate connection with the larger world around us, then we would make very different choices than we make as a group today. So we make, uh, we make all of us, we make the choices that we make because we understand love in different ways. And it is this selfish personal love that is all focused on my soulmate or romantic love while your neighbor is beaten by the police or children are taken from their loving parents by the state or warriors who defended your right to live this way waste away on our streets. So it is this entitled love of things with a complete disregard for the earth and the elements from which those things were actually made. And we also make a kind of choice of service that is meant to be the expression um, of our love for others, but is actually driven by a deeper fear that we carry of feeling our own lack of worth and the the absence of our own self-love and true self-care. So is shamanism all about love? 
as we contemporary people understand it with this selfishness and entitlement and and bypassing our our fears no shamanism is not about love as it is currently practiced um, in the United States in many other countries especially where we have you know religious fundamental behavior that is ending the lives of other people there's great love for that religion but not for life so is shamanism all about love from the really global current manifestation of what love means by all the dominant cultures around the world no is shamanism all about love connection and intimacy and the fierce sacrifice needed to balance humanity with all of life absolutely so whether or not shamanism is really about love depends on how you define love Here's a piece from Story People called Legacy. I promise you not a moment will be lost as long as I have heart and voice to speak and we will walk again together with thousand others and a thousand more and on and on until there is no one among us who does not know the truth. There is no future without love. So here's the question from the listener that actually provoked today's show. The question arose as he was working with a young client, and he's a psychotherapist, so he's working with a young client, and the conversation turned to discussing different types of love from the perspective of the Greeks. And uh, he says, um, as as he was doing this, he was thinking, is there a shamanic context for these types of differentiations in love? And uh, so I think I should review these uh, before I try to answer that question. So actually, my understanding is that the Greeks had many more than seven uh, kinds of love defined. But these are the most weighty, the most uh, common, I guess, as in the most engaged in. So one would be eros or romantic erotic love. It is based on sex and sexual passion and powerful magnetism. We often feel possessed by this love or out of control and it is the love that we can that can get us into the most trouble. Um, it can turn into other kinds of love um, but it can also change quickly because it is fiery and often fleeting. Uh, Ludus is a flirting or playful love it's a second kind of love and this can be seen in the affection between children um, that feeling of um, you know best childhood friends or be even between young lovers um, Lotus is um, in the flirting and teasing in the early stages of a relationship um, and we live out our lotus when we sit around in a bar bantering and laughing with good friends or going out dancing. Um, even when we go out dancing with strangers, that this is all an expression of this type of love. And this can be also be the feeling that we have when we have a deep love for a friend uh, that is of a different sexual orientation. Um, that we find attractive and we find them sexy and we flirt with them and we carry on with them and there's a deep knowing in the relationship because we're not each other's type that it isn't going to be sexual. Um, There is another 
the third type of love would be um, philia, which is deep friendship that comes out of shared experience. And this is the love that we feel for people with whom we have strived to achieve a shared goal. So philia develops between players on a sports team, performers in a dance company or in an orchestra, uh, people who take shamanic trainings together. It's very common to develop this type of love. Um, it is deeply found in brothers in arms, uh, quote unquote, since of course that could be men or women. And uh, these are the people who have fought side by side on the battlefield. And we express philia when we show loyalty to our friends, when we sacrifice for them, as well as when we share our emotions with them. So, for example, in my student community, we have um, commitments of way, things we will engage in together and ways we will behave that fosters the development of this energy in the community, philia, this particular type of love. Okay, so moving on, philatia is self-love or self-respect and the unhealthy expression of this love is narcissism and which is self-obsessed and personally focused the healthy version of this love is the love we give ourselves that comes from a joy of being true to our values and it is very like the buddhist value of self-compassion and um, the healthy expression of self-love received that we offer it to ourselves and actually receive it actually enhances our wider capacity for love if i feel confident and replenished within myself i am in a much uh, better place to be able to open to that which is larger than i am so self-love is a is a really critical aspect of healthy love um so the next one is pragma which is mature love that endures and um, this is the love scene between two sexually intimate adults that develops over a long period of time. Um, not that they ha- are necessarily sexually intimate all the time, but the point is this is a couple. This is, this is the love that develops between people that say, you know, I am committed to you and I receive your commitment to me and that we live in this commitment year after year after year. And in that... Um, there's a kind of love that develops. This is the love that endures sickness and health. It is the love that makes a neighbor care for another neighbor or a friend uh, care for a former school friend. So the whether or not they're sexually intimate may or may not play into this. It has to do with time and, and a commitment to each other over time. And... Um, and it particularly willing to sacrifice and to show up for someone else um, that you have cared for over time when they become vulnerable. And this is a love that, that involves deep understanding. So this isn't just doing it for your neighbor because you feel you're supposed to. This is doing it for your neighbor because you've shared hours chatting with that neighbor. You have deep understanding of each other. Um, it, and it's a, it's a love that uh, is also characterized by patience and tolerance. And so this is another quality of love that we intentionally foster within the community by working together on projects, by clearing together, by um, 
coming together again and again so that the relationships are not fleeting, not just twice a year, but that we engage with these people week after week and develop long-term intimate relationships. Um, Storage is uh, family love. And this is the love of a parent for a child, a child for aunts and uncles. Um, it is a love um, a, a person who steps into the role of a parent feels for the for the child that they are parenting. Um, it is also uh, the love grant a grandparent feels, even a grandparent who steps into that role for some sort of stepchild or you know all of that way that we choose to create what we call our family and develop that bond. And then finally, agape, which is the love of humanity. Um, so agape is, a, is described as a selfless love, although I'm not sure that we can do it without self-love. I think these two tie together, which is why this whole compartmentalization of love becomes problematic, is that I believe that these healthy expressions of these different types of love all feed into each other and nourish each other but of course that's a very shamanic perspective that this is all circular and um, multi multi related <coughs> excuse me that this isn't a linear thing but anyway agape is a selfless love it is likened to the universal loving kindness that we find in buddhism and it is the kind of love that makes us feel connected to people that we don't know simply on the basis of our shared experience as human beings Okay, so back to the listener's question. Is there a shamanic context for these different types um, of differentiations of love? So yes and no. So yes, in that my sense of this is, is, is that if you were to describe these seven types of love to any kind of pre-contact shamanic peoples, that they would certainly understand what you were talking about. My guess is that they would wonder why all the bother with the different words. Um, we take this reductionist thinking as sort of the obvious course of thinking about things. However, I often see this look on the faces of indigenous shamans that looks a bit like a dog hearing a strange noise. And it's that wonder of why we are questioning the obvious. You know, why we are making what is simple so hard. So, if we are separate from God, or in the Greek's case, the gods, um, then we think about things in a particular way. We make particular assumptions. And as contemporary people, we do exist in a way of thinking that is based on separation from God. And if you choose to step into a shamanic way of life, you will need to confront this. Because shamanic ways of thinking are not based on that separation. The very psychology of these people develops around the deepest truth that we are one with all things. And most contemporary people try to apply that software over the operating system they already have of separation. And down the road, it doesn't work. And so when we're talking about love... As fundamental as love is, we have to understand that we're then going back to this fundamental root of our own thinking and understanding about life, which is are we separate or are we one? And so if we're one with all things, 
then for example agape is obvious this love for all things this love for all humanity um, is is obvious there isn't any other option so it's 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 our natural state of being and yet agape is in deep decline in today's world how much do you truly care about strangers or are you afraid of people that don't look like you are you angry when people are listening in a loud way to music you don't like and don't understand how much do you care about anything that isn't actually human I mean do you really care about the Pacific Ocean and the fact that we're killing all the life there do you really care about what we're doing uh, fracking to the earth itself how much do you really care I mean this is this is really what agape is about but it's fascinating to me at this time when we are doing such profound damage to the earth we are seeing native peoples all over the world stepping up and declaring their non-dominant way of looking at the world as a valid way of looking at the world and one that perhaps would be better than the one that's running things so it's really it's because when you come from a place of oneness the agape isn't an option it is your reality and if agape is your fundamental reality about love it's the base love from which you express the other ones you're a different kind of person than if your focus on love is romantic love is eros is personal is passionate it's all about me and my soulmate and it's all about me losing control not being responsible not showing up where I need to be when I need to be there because I'm in love because I've met my soulmate I am a total advocate for deep passionate erotic sexy love but it is not the fundamental love that I value the most on which I define the value of other things and I don't think most contemporary Americans can say that and that's because because of my helping spirits because of shamanism because they've in in a spiritual sense beat it out of me in a sense of helping me to see that I cannot both really embrace the practices of shamanism that are all utterly based in oneness and continue to behave that way and I behaved that way especially in my 20s somewhat into my 30s absolutely I get it and I and I love it and I value it but I also understand it is becoming the only kind of love that people acknowledge and recognize. And when I say true love is mediated, uh, true power is mediated through the heart, or I talk about shamanism and love, I am not ever talking about Eros. I am talking about this way of being in our bodies and in our lives that is connecting us intimately to other things. And causing us through that connection to look back at ourselves, um, not in a way that is um, criticizing, but in a way that is critical, that looks back at my heart as the inter- instrument of these relationships and says, can this instrument be tuned? Does it need to be cleaned? 
Is there a way that I can be a better instrument to be played by this intimacy and this love that is inherent in everything? So the research today says, quote, that there's a growing evidence that agape is in dangerous decline in many countries. Empathy levels in the United States have declined sharply over the past 40 years with the steepest fall occurring in the past decade. The feeling of the researchers is that we urgently need to revive our capacity to care about strangers. I don't think it's the definition of love that is so difficult. It is the valuing for the different types of love that is so vastly different between contemporary life and shamanic cultures and sort of a shamanic way of thinking about things. That shamanism is about intimate expressed connection with all of life human and non-human embodied and without form expressions of power that are dark and light it's about being engaged in all of that and to do that we need to have a capacity to engage in a way that is intimate but not personal and that's very challenging for people so Bradford Keeney um speaking about the Kalahari Bushmen expresses it this way. The Kalahari Bushmen like to talk about that which enters you as a kind of spiritual arrow. And he's talking about the way they understand um, the power that is used, what we would call sort of the shamanic power that is used for um, healing. Um, So we know that red hot love, the heat of an arrow, can turn us silly and upside down with desire for physical contact with another. There is also familial love, which is more meaningful, such as the love of a mother or father for their child. But it is the big love. The arrow just gets hotter. Oh, but with the big love, the arrow just gets hotter. Because it's not the desire to utilize the other for personal satisfaction. Rather, it moves into caring so much for the other that you are willing to sacrifice yourself for the other. Finally, when the arrow gets even hotter, when it's white hot, you see the white light. At that point, the love continues moving forward, and now all of life is felt to be connected. There's this realization that we're all held in some greater arm or greater hand. So this is one of many examples of this other way of understanding love that puts the big love and the cultivation of our ability to be in intimate rapport with the big love as the higher value for our relationships with love in our life. And in that then... We create a foundation for all the other loves that build community, build family, build our willingness to be courageous and to sacrifice for each other, to be patient, to be understanding. All of these things that need to happen if we're all going to live on this really tiny planet together in a good way. So the listener who asked these questions shares that for himself, increased intimacy correlates to increased compassion and connection, not increased desire. So this impulse, I would say, is shared with shamanic peoples. Um, and knowing this individual, I know he leans, leans pretty heavily into the shamanic world. And I think that it's a human impulse. 
but it's a human impulse that can get overrun in cultures where eros and desire to give into the possession of passion is valued more highly than the big love. Where we exalt childish emotional behavior, selfishness, and excess, we value the more irresponsible and selfish forms of love. Interestingly, we do this without embracing actual self-love because to care for ourselves would actually be mature and responsible and would, of course, no longer be childish. And so it's an ironic situation, to be sure. Um, When we do what we love again and again, our life comes to hold the fragrance of that thing. So if the thing that we love is selfish and self-destructive, excessive or fundamental, um, as in fundamentalist thinking, then our whole life begins to be about that thing. And I believe that shamanic peoples understood this because what I came to understand about pre-contact shamanic ways um, is that their ways of living showed great variation between each other, but they all contained the theme of understanding that what we love draws our belief and our power. So we must encourage people to love life, all of it. And in doing that, um, it draws the belief and the power to all of life. And then everyone is in a position where they can support each other in survival and in flourishing. And I believe that the pre-contact cultures understood this really well from what I can understand about what was recorded about how they live, what their standards of life were, how they dealt with divorce and kind of serial monogamy and raising children and all of these things. Um, What is important to understand is that there aren't any pre-contact cultures left for the most part that most shamanic people have been influenced by the very same religious organizations and political organizations that have influenced the rest of us. And so how what we now would still consider indigenous people behave is not necessarily how they behaved when they were pre-contact shamanic people. And so we're all in it together today in this challenge of how do we tune the instrument of our heart to engage intimately with life and come to know the big love that is here for us and be the vehicle through which that big love is manifest uh, through our actions. So these are words from Wayne uh, Mueller from his book, How Then Shall We Live? That kind of focuses on this idea. When we do what we love again and again, our life comes to hold the fragrance of that thing. But we choose to love is very important for what we love leads our eyes ears and hearts on a pilgrimage that shapes the texture of our lives we become what we love whatever you are giving your time and attention to day after day is the kind of person you will eventually become and so my point is about understanding for yourself as an adult 
that if you follow your current culture, here in America at least, I can say with confidence, you will be a lemming going off a cliff when it comes to love. And now we need to step back and understand the power of what it is that we love in our life and how it shapes us. And I mean truly, what do you troll on Facebook? What do you watch on TV? What are your guilty pleasures? What do you fill your mind with? What are the things you fill your day with? These matter because they draw, as Mueller says, our eyes, our ears, our hearts on a pilgrimage that shape the texture of our lives. What you are giving your time and attention to day after day is the kind of person you will become. So my point is just what we love and how we love and how we understand love is critically important because it shapes the life that we build and who we are in that life. So anyway, back to our listener and his questions. Our listener continues, we see the integrity of some brilliant spiritual teachers and gurus just utterly collapse around this topic because they were undifferentiated and acted accordingly, meaning undifferentiated around these different kinds of love. Now, I would add to that, that we see this with contemporary shamans as well. You know, humans are, of any kind, are not immune to this. That humans who do not deeply consider their own values around love can fall into exactly the same um, excess arrows trap. So the thing with initiated shamans, and this is the tricky thing today, is the person you're going to do that ayahuasca with an initiated shaman or not? That is the question. Are they an initiated practitioner or not? Because initiated individuals are not immune to mistakes. But my point is, if they've actually been initiated, then they have been taken by the scruff of their soul's neck and dragged, kicking and screaming, to the place from which complementary dualism actually arises. And they have been reminded in a way that will lock in that memory for them for the rest of their life. That is why it's their initiation. They have been reminded that nothing is separate, that everything needs everything, And that the movement of the real energies from yin to yang to yin to yang expressions is the breath of life. It is the big love. It is the movement of love in our world. And in in intact shamanic cultures, and as I've said, I'm not sure we have any anymore. But in an intact shamanic culture, we have people taught about love as an expression of complementary dualism. And that they are taught that the complementary dualism, the love, the expression of this, the agape, that this big love is all here and that we simply need to have the courage and the strength to stand in it, to be in that love, that we're not not in love and then we're in love when we're having that crazy, eros, passionate journey, that we are always have the capacity to stand in love because that is the nature of this existence. We simply have to have the courage and be willing to make the sacrifice of our personal dramas to be there and in that way to be a beacon for it. 
So what I see happening in this ex- in this kind of excessive arrows fall from grace that does happen with spiritual teachers um, is that these teachers, leaders, practitioners, whoever are allowing the love for their teachings, the love for their students, the love for their followers, which is really just an extension of family love. Um, they're allowing this kind of love to become self-focused and in a sense to close the door. It's actually a kind of nationalism. And in that closed bubble that they've created, the love bubble that they've created, their actions then seem acceptable to themselves. They become justified. And the point is, it's not such a short path to get there when you truly love your way the way that you teach and you believe that it is the way and that these are my people and they are embracing the way it's a very short path to that kind of closed door nationalism kind of love people don't think of it that way but that is what it is it's the love of ours us the chosen And that ultimately it is us versus them thinking no matter how you try to slice it and dress it up with scarves and make offerings to it. It is us versus them thinking. And it leads often um, to the misuse of power. But anyway, as I was saying, it it is just not that short a path for anybody who believes in their way. And when we go there um, and we've created our own little love bubble world then we've become disconnected from the all that is. Because when we are the way and the ones, then we are now separate. We have separated ourselves from the bigger story. And that kind of separation is really fundamentally non-shamanic. So we must all constantly ask ourselves then, what does love mean from this perspective of oneness and not separation? Gibran says, today we kneel only to truth, follow only beauty, and obey only love. So the listener continues with an excellent question, and it's the only one really that matters of all of his questions, which is, I'm interested in how a person living a shamanic worldview qualitates and differentiates aspects of love and correspondingly aligns their actions. And that's the most important part. So, I guess, excuse me, I guess the first thing I would say is I think if a person wants to live shamanically in the contemporary world, particularly in America, the Western world, you need to take the kind of the, the order in terms of value that culturally we place the the seven loves of the Greeks and flip that order. (laughs) I think that's the first thing you need to do. Eros just is not the most important thing. Now granted, okay, so you do that in your 20s and that's pretty age appropriate. But beyond that, you need to mature into the longer lasting loves, the loves that bind you uh, to people in a way that makes you want to sacrifice things for them. That kind of living with a love that allows you to sacrifice intentionally is deeply shamanic and very important. And then I think we also need to go back to the idea of the heart as an instrument. Because I think 
the Greeks weren't necessarily thinking about that. But I think shamanic people really do. I think that there's, uh, because the fundamental place that they stand is agape-ish. You know, it's this, it's this, understanding if I am deeply and intimately connected to all of this which is pretty fundamental to shamanic beliefs you know if I am one with all things then the way through which I do that which is my heart needs to be clean and clear and available for that ongoing everyday intimate interactions with things and not distorted by my personal dramas and stories, my personal stories about my unmet needs, which I'm now trying to overshadow onto my love stories. I asked many of my students and clients what they felt they'd learned, the most profound thing they felt they'd learned about love from their shamanic practices. And pretty much what they said is, I learned to stop being codependent. I learned to stop being in this addictive codependent dynamic in love and to step into something um, that was more challenging and not as familiar to other people and makes my dating life a little bit weird, but it is a deeper and more satisfying sense of love. So it it's about understanding that relationship that I spoke about before between agape and the self-love and understanding how the, the dynamic tension between those two energies is fundamental in the exercise, the, like the, the gymnastics of the heart that keep the heart available to engage in the intimacy of the relationships necessary to do shamanic work and, and open us then. Well, okay, so the third thing is, so then we need to pay attention to really making sure the instrument of our heart is open equally to all of the powers of the heart, which is the full heart that loves, but also the strong heart, the one that can make sacrifices, the one that can do that kind of love that comes from the camaraderie that arises from committing to something together and sacrificing together to accomplish something that is challenging to accomplish. How else did people live in a way that it was good for the next seven generations? Because they sacrificed. And, and this, is, this is what we need to come to understand. And so the other powers of the heart then are wisdom, the deep, deep wisdom that comes through this intimate connection with all things and our own soul, wisdom and vision. And the vision that comes, what, what do we need to do that is new and that is different? So I want to close. Um, with a poem by Maya Angelou, touched by an angel. We, unaccustomed to courage, exiles from delight, live coiled in shells of loneliness until love leaves its holy temple and comes into our sight to liberate us into life. Love arrives, and in its train come ecstasies, old memories of pleasure, ancient histories of pain. And yet if we are bold, love strikes away the chains of fear from our souls. We are weaned from our timidity in the flush of love's light. We dare be brave. And suddenly we see that love costs all that we are and will ever be. Yet it is only love that sets us free. 
I give great gratitude to the helping spirits that teach us this over and over and over again, no matter how many times we forget it. I give thanks to the ancestors that have gathered around us, the earth below and the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. May you all have a good week and tune your instrument and risk an intimate connection with all that is around you. Have a good week, everyone.